Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. I'm delighted to say my guest is Chaba Tote. He is an author of the book Uncommon Sense in Unusual Times, as well as the founder of ICQ Global. Chaba, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, and you're, uh, I, I think we're seeing you here for Brighton, right? Is that? Yes. Um, Sunny Brighton. <laughs> Sunny Brighton, which is a town on the coast of England for any international listeners, uh, which I've been to a few times. Wonderful, wonderful place. Um, so, Uncommon Sense in Unusual Times. Yeah, tell us a little bit about what the book's about and the, and the genesis for you writing it. I think the best solutions are born out of frustration. And I think my example is, is exactly that. So I grew up in Hungary in a small village, and then I came to the UK for a summer, but that was 16 years ago, and I'm still here. And this is where I studied as well. And I got interested in making sense of why people think and behave differently. And there was no noble reason for that. I just really didn't understand myself and other people. So for example, my dissertation was about the implications in Eastern and Western European joint ventures. And I replicated an old research, and I wanted to compare the Hungarian managers with the Western Europeans. And interestingly, the two generations in Hungary was much more different than the new generation and Western Europeans, which was weird because it contradicted everything that we learned about, what all the academics claimed, that culture is country-specific and stable. I said, no, look at the numbers. That's not true. But why to question the old boys? You know, they've been around for 40, 50 years. They created the field. So it's not polite to question the status quo. Just, just to just to make sure everyone's clear on that. So, what happened was you found that the when you compared the older versus the younger managers in Hungary, uh, you found that there was a bigger difference than between Hungarian managers and Western European managers, right? In general, exactly. Yeah, so the exactly. age made more of a difference than the country that you were from. Yes, in that case, that that was the first clue, and it just doesn't make sense. But then, and I that went. About, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, and that went against the grain of the existing research. Yes, because if you look at, for example, look up cross-cultural studies, then you find a lot of country briefings that this is a typical British, this is a typical American, and then this is what we expect. And when people are not like that, then we are disappointed or confused because something is not normal. But that, there's much more to it. Right, right, and so and so this got you interested. You're like, hang on, we would expect the Hungarian and the Western Europeans to be different no matter their age, but something else is going on here. That was interesting, but not painful enough to do something about it. Okay. So where was the pain? What was the pain? (laughs) Because, you know, people don't do anything until it hurts enough. That's just human nature. So that was just frustrating, but that's it. I'm not going to question them. So as soon as I finished, I started my own company, which was a restaurant booking site. You know, you book a table, we get the money, but it was much more exciting than that. So we started with 35 restaurants here in Brighton. And in one year, we had 5,500 all over the UK. It became a joint venture with a software company. And on paper, everything made sense. We were getting the results, but I couldn't stand the other CEO. He was French, and I'm not saying that was the problem, but it just didn't work out. And we got to the point where we had to get out of the business. It is still online. And this is when I started my research. How is that possible? that that was the exact topic of my dissertation. I had years of experience. And that department itself is number one in the world in its category. And I couldn't put that theory into practice. 
And I just got certified in a lot of different things, behavioral assessments, psychometric assessments, intercultural models, leadership models. And I wanted to understand what went wrong and how we could fix it. And that's how it started. Right. Um, and and, and this, this problem with the French CEO uh, ultimately drove you out of the company, did it? Is that right? Yes. Yes. It, right. You know, because everything makes sense. You put smart people in a team. You hope to create synergy. It's so logical. But on a personal level, if it doesn't work out, if we don't like each other, then the project is going to struggle or it's going to fail. Right. And what was it that you tried with, with him that, that, that failed? I'd be interested to know. Like Control the rage. You know, for example, <laughs> when you're in the middle of a situation, it's really difficult to be objective. And we are always smarter when we can connect the dots in the past. But yeah, that's, that's a lesson to learn. Right. And so you were like, ah, oh, I must find out why it is I couldn't get on with this guy. Yeah, that's why I started the research, because my assumption was uh, if all of those, you know, behavioral models and intercultural models are or were correct, there must be a huge overlap in part. And that's what I'm interested in. The blueprint of why people think can behave differently. There must be a structure beneath the surface. And that's exactly what, what I found. And it is called now Global Disk which is ICF-accredited, multi-award-winning solution. And that's the blueprint. So when you look at the blueprint of a house, you don't see the color of the wall, the decoration, but you understand the structure. So it doesn't take away the uniqueness of people, but we are all predictably different. Hmm. Okay. And so you created Global Disk. And, and Disk was something that existed, right? So maybe tell us what, what does Disk mean and then what's Global Disk? So there are a lot of companies who created their own DISC assessment. So that comes from William Marston, who published The Emotions of Normal People in 1928, and it was an open domain. So a lot of companies created their own version, and they can trademark it. But these behavioral models, they explain how the different personality types tend to behave if they are not influenced by anything or anyone around them, which is pretty impossible because you can put different people in a team and they conform to certain norms. If that's a country, a company, a family, a hobby, it doesn't matter. There is always a normal behavior style that most people conform to. So technically, those models are completely ignoring the other half of the picture, the cultural intelligence part. And this is what Global Disc is about, measuring the gap between what is natural to you, for example, and what is normal around you, or what is natural to other people. It's all about measuring that mindset gap. Right. And how did this then apply to your Hungarian managers? If you look at the definition of culture, it's a group habit driven by values and needs. So technically, culture is what we are used to, not who we are. So if I had to do that research again, I would do it differently because I would also measure what's natural to them. So their personality type versus how they have to behave as a manager, what is normal in that environment. So I would do it differently now. All right. And I guess what, what was normal in their environment had changed over time um, be, because some of them had grown up in a communist regime or in the aftermath of that, and some hadn't. Is that right? Exactly. So the older generation grew up in communism, and uh, the new generation was affected by it indirectly. So that was the original research. And I wanted to understand how that heritage affected the new generation because, you know, we were conditioned by our parents. You know, when you grow up, then you get rewarded for the behavior that is aligned with your parents' values. And they punish you if they're not. 
So quickly we learn how to conform to the norms. Because if we don't, we are not loved. We are not approved. And that's dangerous. Right. Okay. And so you'd found then, you, so you suspect then that these Hungarian managers, um, the, the younger ones had been, had uh, a different, they were growing up under different norms. And yes. that shaped how they expressed their behaviors in the workplace. And they had more freedom as well to express that. Because ideally, right. our individual behavior reflects our values and supports our needs. Unless we have to conform to certain norms. But then the question is, how big is the gap? Right. Okay. And so does, and, and your global DISC approach allows people to, to measure this gap between, so is it something like who they truly are and how they're having to behave in their current context? Yes. So if you look at the research where they compared 17 different cultural groups in terms of practicality and range of differences, then the bottom three were country of origin, gender, and generation. The most unreliable ones, the biggest differences. And that, that makes sense because you don't choose those cultural groups. We all belong to 15 or 20 cultural groups at once. Country of origin, generation, and gender, they're just a tiny fraction of that. But you don't choose them. But you learn how to navigate in that environment efficiently. That's what culture is. But when you look at your profession, your educational level, your hobby, then ideally you choose one that is the closest to your personal preferences because it feels right. right. It feels comfortable. And you hang out with people who are like you. And we like that. This is what we like and trust. So when somebody says that I'm an expert in millennials, really? One billion people? You're an expert? What do you mean by that? There's a statistically average score everywhere. But how practical is that? What does it mean exactly? Right. But that's quite, you know, that's quite staggering, isn't it, when you think about it, that your gender is less predictive of your behavior than, or one of the least predictive indicators of your behavior. And yet, if you ask most people, they would probably guess it was one of the highest predictors, right? No, we talk about two different things, because our behavior is what we see. And if we have to conform to certain norms, then you see my behavior, not who I am, not my preferences inside. your preference. You see what is normal there, but not what's natural to me. So what you describe that if you grow up in Hungary, then if you are 40 years old woman, this is normal to you. This is how you have to behave. That's what we expect. So it is going to be, uh, it's going to determine how you behave because I'm going to conform even if I don't want to. Okay, so it's a good predictor of, behavior within a set of norms but it's not a good predictor of people's preferences yes exactly right 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 and the same with country of origin exactly so for example when you when when you move to the uk then yes you have to learn about what people are used to what is normal there's there's a lot of unwritten rules we have to follow but it doesn't mean that you're like that so statistically at least 70 percent of the people in a country are significantly different to what is normal around them. And at least 20% of them are the exact opposite. Right. Okay, so what are the good predictors of of preferences? What do you mean by that? So if you're saying that that, um, gender or, or country of orange aren't particularly good predictors of my interests or my preferences, then what are the... Uh, I, get, I think in the book you call them cultural containers, right? What are the, the containers yeah. that are good predictors of? Um, the cultural groups that you choose. 
Right. So for example, you know, your profession, if you love hanging out with people, you love interaction, then naturally you're going to do a job where you can fulfill your needs and dreams. And then you can interact with people. And if somebody locks you up in a cubicle and you have to work with Excel sheets 10 hours a day, you can't talk to anyone. Then yes, you can deny your needs for a while, but for how long? So when you choose a cultural group, then usually that's a much stronger indication of your personal preferences than the country where you were born. Right. And, and a cultural group might be, yeah, the, the colleagues I work with, I'm guessing. It may be the hobbies I choose, uh, perhaps the political party I support, right? Those, that, that would be, those would be exactly the, the voluntarily chosen groups. And as you we say, I, our own bubbles, technically. Right. Okay. Okay. And this brings us to another point that you make in the book, which is fascinating. And this is this idea of homophilic diversity, right? Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, quite an obscure team. But in my mind, that means um, you've, you've got a bunch of people who on the surface might appear to be diverse, right? They may have, they may be from different ethnic origins. They may be different genders, but they've all voluntarily chosen to it chosen to participate in some group or to join some group or some cultural activity and so in reality they're all very similar uh they're homophilic because they like the same things but on the surface they're diverse have i got that right exactly that, that that's the key that often the companies when we talk about you know diversity then they focus on gender generation and country of origin which doesn't make sense because those are the cultural groups that are the least practical ones, where you have the biggest differences. And if you look at diversity, that the only layer of diversity that has proven benefit is cognitive diversity. It's exactly what you described, the way people think and the way they see the world. Just because we look different, we might be very similar inside. And we have plenty of case studies to show that. And that's the problem. Because if we have a meeting and everybody thinks like me, and I make a decision, then it feels right because they just confirm my beliefs and my decision. It doesn't make it true because we have the same tunnel vision as a team, just like I have as an individual. Yeah, yeah. But what you've said there is potentially quite a controversial position, right? That's to say this, this diversity, let's say gender diversity or um, ethnic origin diversity, isn't beneficial. I mean, that's, that's something which goes against the grain right now because a lot of what we hear is that n- um, you know, not only is diversity good for, for society and from a social justice perspective, but it's also good for companies because yeah. it may improve their performance. But you're you're saying that's that certainly the latter part of that is not true. Is that right? It's a combination. So sometimes people misunderstand me and they think that, oh, for you, the identity differences are not important. I said, no, that's the exact opposite. Because one, if you don't understand the topic of cognitive diversity, then we cannot make it work. And that's the problem with that. Because we can read articles about diversity and inclusion. They're so good for the business. Yes, but I can give you all the the parts for an airplane. If you don't know how to put them together, you might come to the wrong conclusion and you think airplanes don't fly. No, that's not the case. If we just rely on common sense and good intention to make it work, then it's going to fail. And we can see the statistics as well. Mm. Because diversity is pretty cool until somebody disagrees with us. After that, it's not pleasant. So why would you employ somebody who annoys you? Most people wouldn't do that. 
who would you employ? Somebody you can trust. Somebody you hit it off with immediately. But it's very likely that person is going to be like you inside or very similar, even though they look very different. So I'm not dismissing the importance of the visible layer of diversity. It's very important, especially when we talk about equality. Of course, it's important, the equal rights and opportunities. There's nothing more important than that. But sometimes it's, it's misleading that we employ people and we just employ a full range of skin colors because it looks good on the website, but all of them think like me. So sometimes they do good things for the wrong reason. Right, so it's, right. it's not a binary option that one is better than the other one. Not at all. But when we talk about visible layer of diversity, then according to neuroscience, it has proven benefit because they have different perspectives. And when I'm not in my own environment, then I cannot be an autopilot. So we are using the neocortex, we pay more attention, and that's why we perform better. Ah, okay. Because if I'm not with a bunch of people who look like me, I'm more, I'm paying more attention, I'm paying more attention to the people around me. And, and if the they group. don't think like you. And if they don't think like me. Yeah, because autopilot is when your brain recognizes the different patterns around you and then you react. Our brain is designed for that, to create mental shortcuts, biases. So we feel comfortable. But as soon as there's something new and different, then you get out of your autopilot, the limbic brain, you go to the neocortex and you have to pay much more attention. But this is the part of the brain that we don't really use because it's tiring. Because the brain is 2% of our body weight but uses more than 20% of the energy. So it's designed to create habits. Yeah. That's why diversity doesn't feel right. And it's, it's tiring when we have to think and we have to be alert all the time. But that's, that's the benefit. That's the potential if you can make it work. And that's the key, that diversity is the potential for success or disaster, depending on how much we understand ourselves and others. Right. Okay. So, okay. So if we design our environment then such that we, we don't have homophilic diversity, we have genuine cognitive identity. So we find a way to put people who, I guess you might say, wouldn't naturally choose to affiliate with each other. Mm -hmm. Right? Is that is it something like that? So you 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 create an environment where people who wouldn't naturally choose to be in the company of those others work together and and work it out together. That you, if you could create that space, you've got the potential for disaster and something magical. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. So the great thing is that let's say that you and me think really differently, and we have a disagreement then the default position is that if I know that I'm right, then it's obvious that you're wrong. That's logical. And if there is no trust and psychological safety between you and me, then we are going to put all that energy into convincing the other person that you are not very smart. I am, and I'm right, and I have to prove it no matter what. But once you have psychological safety and you understand this topic, then you realize that, yes, yeah, so you think you're right. There must be a reason for that. Tell me, what do you see? What do you know that I don't? And if you can do the same thing, then diversity can lead to innovation. Otherwise, it turns into painful liability. And that's the key. But when somebody disagrees with you and they question your belief or decision, it's almost like questioning your identity. Mm. So if, you don't, if you're not sure about who you are exactly and what you stand for, and maybe your self-esteem depends on external validation, then it's a really fragile place. And you have to protect that ego no matter what. And you just want to be right instead of learning, instead of growing. 
and that's the key to it right and did you do you did you find yourself in that situation with your french the french ceo that that was happening you two were both sort of in some kind of ego identity battle that was destructive if i think about it now i then probably it was mostly my fault because if you think about your biggest values in your life then usually they stem from the childhood the void that we experienced and reflecting on it now my parents were really controlling so now i have a lust for freedom and that to me that's that's really important and i think now i understand that i felt that he was very patronizing and controlling and that just triggered me so much that i couldn't accept it but when you're in the middle of that it's so difficult to see it objectively plus if you don't even know about the topic you can just think about the symptoms but not the root cause of the problem right right okay so so in that case was it something slightly different because you you and he had in a sense both chosen to be in the same cultural group right you in if the cultural container is you know entrepreneurs building startups you'd both selected into that so you might expect there to be quite a lot of a much homogeneity there right and you have to be yes. quite a fit culturally but it wasn't true there was something is it is it the case that you were actually in different cultural bubbles or was there something else other than your cultural bubble at play it depends on what you call cultural because when we talk about personality and we talk about culture then often people think that we talk about different things but if you look at the superficial layer that's true if you look at the cognitive level we cannot even separate them So that's why we tend to talk about individual and group mindset. Okay. So immediately we can see that they are compatible and then we can remove this illusion of separation and superiority. And if you can replace that with the power of curiosity, then we can make progress, not until then. Right. So the idea was good, but on a personal level, the preferences no, they didn't work out. And I think it was mostly my fault. All right, All right. So at an individual level, at a personality, individual personality level, there were some clashes, but the, the group level, there was quite a lot of consistency between them. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, and, this, and this was something else I took from, from, the, from the book, is, is this difference between diversity and inclusion. So we can have a diverse team, but we're not necessarily particularly inclusive in terms of cognitive so we could have a sort of diversity surface level diversity but we're not inclusive to cognitive diversity because we're not taking the actions that would allow us to include different opinions personality types preferences into our group is that right technically diversity is just the existence of differences it can be cognitive it can be visible it doesn't really matter just differences And inclusion is when you make it work, when you create synergy. So, for example, when I, I used to do workshops at BBC, then they had 17,000 employees. And then they said that they were celebrating and tolerating diversity, which is really great, so much better than disliking people. But you cannot just turbocharge your car by celebrating your engine. That's, that's not enough. You have to understand how the different parts work together so you can optimize them. And that's how you create superior performance and synergy. But for that, we need to understand people, the strengths, the weaknesses. And if we use common sense, then it's going to backfire because statistically three out of four people are significantly different to us. 
they're not like us and there's nothing wrong with that yeah yeah it reminds me a little bit of um you know working in the software space and i know you both both of us share that is that the we know from the you know the agile perspective that um cross-disciplinary teams are potentially much more productive right so if we can put the the product owner and the developers and the testers and the and the who are into the same and the graphic designers in the UI design all into the same team and have them work together we potentially get a big benefit but I've certainly in my experience I found that very difficult what tends to happen is the developers will go and work in one corner and the designers will form another group and they'll create yeah. mechanisms to exchange information to make it work but they they tend to self-select into their own groups uh, and and that would that be an example of that where people are failing to be inclusive at at that level? It depends on what we mean by in, inclusion exactly. There, because what you described is exactly homophilic diversity. That that you know, interacting with people who think and behave differently to us is uncomfortable and sometimes scary. Sometimes we become suspicious when people react differently to what we expect. So we just need that feeling of certainty, and then we revert back to our people, our little bubble, and we create it. And that is normal, because this is something that we need to learn. But the idea itself is great, because the ICQ mindset is that you are able to see the same situation from different perspectives, so you can make a better decision, and then you can choose to respond instead of just reacting. So it's about cognitive and behavior flexibility. And your example was like that, because at least they tried it, because the different needs and values give different perspectives. And if we can discuss it, and I understand your perspective, then we have a, a fuller picture. And then we can make a better decision. Does it mean that it feels comfortable? No, not at all. Personal development feels like slapping the face sometimes. But for a reason. It's not meant to be a happy place, but it is fulfilling. Interesting. So you can always see it as like... Um group development or something like what's personal development look like for a team this is one of the things it could look like is the team a team actively forming with those with differing perspectives and doing the hard work together to find a place where that group that team is inclusive of the differing opinions and viewpoints exactly and behaviors exactly right. and that's the key that you know you can employ smart people but if you are too scared to say something that you have an idea, if you cannot challenge the status quo or the manager, what's the point in hiring smart people? And that's where you lose that power of diversity if it's not inclusive. Right. Okay. So what are some of the, the keys then to building this psychologically safe environment where inclusion exists or is exhibited by the team? To me, the key is understanding the blueprint of why people think and behave differently. And that starts with us. So when we work with senior leaders, then they are really motivated to learn how to manage people. And when I tell them that day one is about you, not other people, then they're surprised. I said, listen, there's a lot of things you don't know about yourself, but it's not even your fault. So let's start with that. Because if we cannot lead ourselves, how could we lead other people? That doesn't make sense. But unfortunately, a lot of people try to do that. So they overcompensate. So step one is learning about our own mindset. Because I do believe that the, the disconnect between our conscious and subconscious mind is very similar to the disconnect between two people. Because 95% of our actions are driven by values and beliefs we are not even aware of. 95, that's a lot. So the more we understand ourselves and the more we understand other people, 
the more trust and more safety we can enable, the less conflicts we have. And that's the key. So we start by understanding ourselves, then we seek to understand others. Uh, and, yes. and you see that those are the keys. And it starts with the self-inclusion. Because when we talk about inclusion and you Google it, then you're going to find a lot of rainbow-colored pictures and people hugging, which is very much part of it. But there is one step before that, which is the self-inclusion. Because if I know exactly who I am and what I stand for, and even if we push the boundaries and I like it myself, then I don't have to bully anyone to feel important. I don't have to hide to feel safe. My self-esteem doesn't depend on how much you like me or how much you agree with me or how much you need me. Then I can be inclusive towards others. But facing your own demons is not pleasant again. Right. So what are some of the things that you've done to, to face your own demons? The only way is when somebody is brutally honest with you and you have to be brutally honest with yourself as well. Because if we tell a story to ourselves enough times, an excuse, we believe it. And when somebody points it out that actually that's not true at all, then it's, it hurts. But that's why even the best coaches have coaches as well. Just like a, a GP cannot self-diagnose. It's not a good idea. Because when you're in the middle of this, it's too personal, it's too subjective, and you need sometimes an outside perspective. So that's what I'm doing, and it's painful right. sometimes. Right. So getting that out, outside perspective to help you look at yourself and learn to accept, love yourself, is that, is that right? Yes, because sometimes... Yeah, but you see, that's, that's the point. And if you look at the newspapers now, then mental health issue is such a big topic. And for a reason. Because most people can use their smartphone better than their own mindset. And they don't know that they have much more control than they realize. And, and, and most of the opportunities, time and energy, are lost because of two major things. One is that friction with people who think and behave differently. And the other one is friction with ourselves, which is self-sabotage. And the more we understand these processes, the more we can control them and the more we can manage them instead of fighting them. Right. And, and, are you, and, you're, and you're suggesting that Global Disc is one, is, is one tool in that journey and a very powerful one. Is that, is that right? Yes. Yeah. So technically, Global Disc is just a tool. This is what I always say. But if somebody doesn't have the right mindset, they don't know what is the benefit of doing this and what is the cost of ignoring it, they're not going to use anything. So right. Global Disc is, is a good start because it makes this topic tangible, measurable, and as objective as possible. But that's just a starting point. We need yeah. the right mindset. When yeah. we share it with people, we discuss it. That's when we learn. And I did, I did the, the assessment yesterday. Uh, and so I'm high in direction and inspiration. Uh, but low in competence and service. Um, so, what would you? How would you respond to that? Or just off the cuff, me telling you that? Uh, that's that's almost like. A, I mean, last time we were talking about the US, and it's more like a US profile. So that ah. explains why why you're more comfortable there. Yeah, that was interesting. 
Yeah, because when we were talking before the show, I said, yeah, that. No. That when I, um, you know, when I go to LA or Santa Monica, especially, I re- it always feels like home. And that's weird for, for a kid who grew up in the southeast of England. Yeah, that's assertive, people oriented and task oriented, almost half and half. Intense. Yeah. Yeah. So now imagine, for example, that you have to work as an accountant. Eight, ten hours a day or eight hours a day. How would you feel about that? How for how long could you do that? Yeah, I mean that's my worst nightmare, yeah. Exactly. And now if you think about another cultural group in Germany, that type of behavior would be normal and accepted. That C type of behavior style. It doesn't mean that everybody's like that at all. It just means that that's the norm that most people conform to. But what about people who are who have the same profile as you? And they grew up in that environment and they just want to be like you, but they cannot because it's not polite. Right. And that's the connection that you don't choose that country. But what if you are really different? What if you're the exact opposite of what's normal around you? And that's at least 20% of the people. Then they look around, everybody behaves similarly, and then they feel, oof, I'm so different. Something is wrong with me. I'm not good enough. And that's not true at all. Yeah, yeah. And and what it what it but what it helped me to start to do, and I have not had a great deal of time to you know absorb the report and so on. But I suppose it was surprising that I was so low on on service, which is um, this sort of pe- people orientation, right? Which I kind of pride myself on. You know, I've co-founded a company called First You, and I like to think of myself as being quite strong in that department. But clearly, that's not, um, I guess, according to this assessment, at least, that isn't um, where where I'm. I guess what, how would I phrase it? it? It's not where I have the highest level of interest or preference, um, even though I might have developed some skill there. Um, but what I also found was the people in that category tend to be a little, maybe a bit more, a bit quieter, a bit more shy. Yeah. Um, and I certainly have that tendency. So that was sort of also interesting, but that they, they don't, yeah, they don't like to be challenged, even if, even if it's constructive criticism. And that was a kind of light bulb moment for me because I was like, but surely everybody likes constructive criticism. I get like being oh. just straight up negative might be a problem for people, but surely constructive. But th- th- that was interesting that actually there are certain profiles that even constructive criticism is a problem. So yeah, that, I'm just picking up on one insight I got from the report, but it, yeah. it certainly was interesting. And that's exactly why we call it the uncommon sense because common sense is based on the golden rule. Treat people the way you want to be treated. It sounds great, but it's not true. And you just described the reason. Because if you are motivated by by feedback and challenge, well, the other styles are terrified of those. They shut down. They agree to it because they are scared or they they withdraw, but it doesn't mean that they like it. So you try to motivate them and that's the last thing they want to hear. But when you look at cultural differences as clashes of common senses, then it becomes a much more friendly topic. And we realize that, ah, so, yeah, different. So we have to change the language, not the message, but the way I deliver the message. Yeah. Um, and, I can, and I can immediately think of a guy I was managing once in a particular situation, and I had these maddening moments where I'd want this guy to be, like, straight with me about a mistake that he'd made, uh, and I wanted to work through it together and give him some feedback and work out we could do it better next time. But the guy completely shut down and said, no, 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 we didn't, we didn't do anything wrong. There was no problem. Uh, you know, it's all fine. And I was like wanting to throw this guy up against the wall. I was like, what do you mean it's all fine? You know, the, we've, we've got all of these problems. And 
yeah, it was interesting. Just, just really, again, reading the report and reflecting on that situation, I might have handled that very differently and thinking, okay, this guy's exactly. a little bit more on the S here. Maybe I shouldn't go in quite so hard. Maybe I need to find other ways to coax my way into this conversation or to see this guy's perspective. Yeah. Exactly. And that's our topic, bridging the gap between your intention and your impact on other people. Because the intention was good, impact, not so much. Common sense backfired. And you don't have yeah, to because, because, Yeah, because common sense, uh, yeah, I guess that's right. Because common sense is subjective. My common sense exactly. is going to be very different to somebody with a different profile, but their, their view of common sense. And that's exactly the key to it. That we talk about trust, respect, pain, and pleasure as if they were objective concepts, but they're not. They're really subjective. And this is, that's exactly what we discussed. You talk about motivation. Yes, great feedback. No. For them, it was an attack. Yeah. So at the end of the day, why do you do this? Why do you flex your behavior? This is often the question. Why should I do that? Well, you do it for yourself first because you could have better results. Do it for yourself first. And then you realize that, okay, so all the other profiles have their strengths and weaknesses. So once I understand that, that you're not like me, but that's not a problem, but then what's your strength? How can you be complimentary to me? And that's how you create a high-performing team. Instead of teaching everyone how to be mediocre or normal, calling it onboarding, let's create a team where we can complement each other. We can double down our strength. And we don't judge others because they are different. We are equally different. That's a different attitude. Yeah. I, I really get that. Um... And it kind of blows up this idea of cultural fit. I mean, I, I joined Deloitte. That was the, sort of my first big job after university, right? And w- the, the joke was always, you know, we were the clones, you know, here comes the clones. Whenever we were on a client site, you know, that was always the retort from the client. Oh, you're all the bloody same. You know, yeah. you all look the same. You all sound the same. You're all... And yeah, when I think back at, you know, we were all uh, you know, very similar, right? Very similar. We all had... Um, yeah, this cultural fit was very important for the firm. Yep. They spent an awful lot of money in making sure they got people who are a good cultural fit. Uh, yeah, and we never really had to worry about this stuff, certainly within in our firm bubble. Yeah. It feels comfortable. Yeah. That's why. That's the uh, reason. And I can see why people don't really, you know, why why this hasn't sort of become a huge topic is because this is clearly much harder work, right? A sort of psycho-emotional level to work through this stuff than, as you say, just hiring people who on a surface level look more diverse. No. Not to, not to denigrate that, but yeah, they're, they're different. That's why we need both. So it's not one or the other one. We need yeah. both and we have to understand it. And often the cognitive diversity is, is the ignored part, but yeah. that's the one that makes or breaks a team. The problem is not that you look different. The problem is that you react differently and I'm not getting the results that I want or that, that you annoy me for some reason. I don't even know why. Because when something goes against your values, then it triggers a really intense emotional response. And you know that it was so obviously wrong that you can't explain why. But if you cannot tell me why, how can I learn about it? How can I understand it? How can I get to know you? It's difficult. Yeah. You can describe the symptoms, but not the root cause of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And there also was this thing, you know, this this idea fit in or fuck off, right? Fit in or F off. And that was <laughs> the kind of mantra, right? You know, like 
Yeah. yeah that's not inclusive. No, that, that's the opposite of inclusion. Yeah. Exactly. And, and what you're inviting us here to do is go against the, the grain, right? Yeah. I mean, our main topic is, is, is about breaking down the barriers within and between people because there's so much potential and, and it's all waiting to be unlocked. And this is a much more positive approach that you're not telling people or groups or companies to change. You're telling them to level up. So it's them, but an upgraded version. Because when you tell people to change, it implies they are not good enough. Nobody likes that. But if you tell somebody that, listen, you're awesome already, but you can be even better. You can achieve more with the same amount of effort. That's not a bad deal. Because often this is not our problem. This should be uh, taught at high schools, at least. It shouldn't be the privilege of corporate training, this kind of knowledge. Imagine that. That would be a really different world. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can safely say there wasn't a single moment in my education where we were invited to explore each other's style differences, behavioral differences, perspective differences. Yeah, yeah just... just never been part of the conversation no and just because we conform to the same norms it doesn't mean that we are similar because if you look at the research more than 80 percent of cultural differences exist within countries not between them more than 80 percent but we just label them differently because if you clash with someone in your family you might label it as personal differences if the exact same situation happens with someone from a different country you might label it cultural differences in reality, on a cognitive level, it was exactly the same thing. Yeah. I mean, that is a staggering, you know, statistic as well. I, mean, I guess it's maybe it's maybe we've got some biases that 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 have us see somebody serve a different skin color and assume they're very different when, you know, in reality, you know, it's like an estate agent in London is probably more likely to have a more in common with an estate agent in Nigeria than they are an accountant in London, right? Or an accountant. It's quite likely, yes. Yeah. Because we expect to, we see what we expect to see. And that's dangerous. So the question is not that if you have a bias. Of course you do. The question is, how big is the distance between your bias and mine? Because we all have them. How comfortable they are. It's not that if we have them. Yeah. Um, and then creating this, this space. And so when, when you work with clients, then so, okay, so people do the, the, the assessment, they get this, they, get some self-awareness they start to understand the differences with others they they start to take this on what's the you know how do you sort of frame these conversations and these dialogue like what what does the process look like for people exploring this well the biggest distance between two people is misunderstanding and i lost a lot of people because of that and a lot of opportunities and once you realize that there was no real problem just a lack of understanding it's really painful but have you seen the, the Febreze ad? You... Uh, no. I... That's, a very, that's a really famous one. You know when you spray it and it, it neutralizes the smell? It's not just it covers it, but it neutralizes it. So when they discovered it, then they thought, okay, our prime customer is somebody with dogs, for example, because they stink in a house. So they went to the house and they asked the owner, we've got this spray, do you want it? No, really, I don't need it. What, what do you mean you don't need it? Because it was horrible in that. And then they realized that there's a concept called uh, they went nose blind. They got used to it so much that they cannot smell it anymore. So they had to create this awareness. And this is what we do as well. That we clash with people, we have a bad environment, and we get used to it so much 
that we don't notice it anymore. But once you leave that environment and you find the right one or the right person who is more similar to you, then you realize that, oh, wow, how did they put up with this for so long? I had the option. Because often people don't know that they have this psychological permission to do more and to be more. Sometimes they think that just because I was born there, then that's my life. I can't change. Because if I change it, I deny my heritage. I disrespect somebody. No, that's not the case at all. Right. So that's the foundation of this, is that we can transcend the norms that we've been encultured into from our background, and we can break out of those and express ourselves in different ways. But if you don't know that you have options, you never realize that you can. It's almost like asking a fish about the water. What water? They don't know. They are in it. Take out the fish. Uh, Okay, that was the water. Because everything is relative. It makes sense when you compare it to something or someone. So the people who never left their environment, then they might never realize that they have different options. You cannot ask for something you don't know about. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me a bit of, um, there's a, there's a Harvard academic called Heifetz and he, he wrote a book called um, uh, Leading Adaptive Change, I think was the name. And, and he talked about, you, you sort of, you turn up the heat in a culture um, in terms of its ability to, or its ability to change and adapt by being more accepting of the fire starters. So more acceptings of those, of those people within your organization who are operating outside of its norms. Uh, and that's a way that you're you're going yeah. to potentially get more innovation in your company. And it sounds like he's saying something similar similar here. It's almost yeah. like if we if we open up and we become more inclusive of those individuals who are not conforming to the to the norms of our organization and do the hard work to allow ourselves to have that inclusion happen, then then we're going to get benefit. Yeah. It's going to be destabilizing potentially in the short term. Yeah, but there's benefit there. Yes, because if we just try to protect the status quo and we have the best intention and we refuse the fact that the world is changing around us, then the gap is getting bigger and bigger. And ultimately, we are endangering the very thing that we try to protect because we're going to get to a breaking point and then there's no other option. Sink or swim. But what if we can just gradually evolve? You know, when you have kids, then you look after them. They grow up. You don't keep them five years old. You give them new clothes, you nurture them, you look after them and because you love them. And this is how it should work with ourselves and, and our environment. Yeah. yeah. Change is scary, but evolution, leveling up, you know, it's, it's about the words that we use. They are powerful. Yeah. And what are the characteristics then of, of the clients of yours who take this on and get the most from it? You know, what makes a great kind of, uh, receiver of this of this approach? Technically, there are two sides to the business. One is corporate training and coaching. So we work with senior leaders and, and teams. And the other side is that we certify coaches and trainers and training companies to deliver the same IP. And that's how we can have the biggest impact. So these are the people who want to bring out the best in themselves and others. And they realize that we are not the same. The golden rule doesn't apply. The platinum rule, treat people the way they need to be treated. But that's something we need to learn. It's not natural. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a skill that we can learn. 
treat people how they need to be treated. And of course, the precursor of that is understand what they need. Yeah. And understand what we need, because often we don't know. Yeah. And so in that context, the garden rule is a disaster for cognitive diversity, right? Yes, exactly. Do but I... it's normal because our brain is trying to keep us in the comfort zone because that is safe and predictable. Our brain is not designed to make us happy. That's why we have autopilot and shortcuts and the comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, all right. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. Um, it's deepened my understanding of the distinction between diversity and inclusion. Uh, doing the, the assessment itself has, has, has provided some insight. And I, I feel even more motivated now to go back to the report and really you know, read it in detail and go through it in some more depth. Um, it's very easy for people out there who, who may have taken an interest. It's a very quick assessment. Uh, and you get you get the report with this very funky um, sort of addition to it where you've got uh, an app on your iPhone and you scan these codes in the report and you get the videos pop up. So it's kind of quite fun as well. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, engaging way to go through the report. You're not just sort of grinding through a PDF. It's, uh, it's fun in that sense. Um, for some, for people who want to, uh, yeah, to want to dive deeper with this, it's what's, what's the website for people? ICQ.global. ICQ.global. And again, the book for those who are watching, uh, Uncommon Sense in Unusual Times. Fantastic book in which, uh, Chava yourself, you've, uh, been very open. Uh, I love the way you weave in your own personal anecdotes. It's, uh, it's a very engaging book. It's, uh, yeah, it's uh, and um, packed with kind of insights and interesting stats. Yeah, it's, it's it's great. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks once again for your time. Anything else we should add for people? If somebody wants to get in touch with me directly, find me on LinkedIn. We can post probably the link, and then let's talk about it. We have a big mission, and always well, open yeah. to new connections. Yeah, and you, you mentioned the school piece actually, just as a as a footnote there. So, is that also something you're you're looking at getting this more into schools? Yes, at the moment we work with eight universities, so at least we are making progress. But ideally, the big picture is that we should reach the high schools, and that's how we could start life. Brilliant! I love the sound of that. Okay, well, thank you once again. Wonderful conversation. Thank you, so thank you for your time. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.